Welcome to the Remarkable Retail Podcast, Season 4, Episode 10. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Steve Dennis. Well, Steve, a fun episode, actually part one of a two-part series, where we're talking to fellow Rethink Retail top global influencers about what's new and next in modern retail. Yeah, I think this is you know this is an opportunity for us to bring in kind of a cross section of of influencers and uh, get their perspectives. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it is pretty pretty fun and uh, and diverse in many ways. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all those things and and a bag of chips, as my friends would say. And uh, in this episode, we've got uh, our first episode. As I said, we've got Alisa Esposito, VP Content at G Three Communications, which is Retail Touchpoints. We've got Nikki Baird, Vice President of Retail Innovation at Aptos Retail, and Ricardo Baumar, Director Partner Marketing and Senior Advisor for Retail and CPG at Microsoft, and a podcaster himself. Now, we had some fun because we wanted to say you know, what is this Rethink Retail anyway, and how did it come to pass? So before our panelists join us to discuss what's new and next, Julia Raymond, Hare, and Gabriella Bach are here with us to share a bit about the top retail influencer program. So uh, nice, big, lots of t- to talk about in this episode, and it's going to be a great couple of episodes. But first, let's jump into the news of the week. So your uh, your wisdom is coming full circle, so to speak, the profitless prosperity notices continue talking about warby parker yeah well i shouldn't laugh about this because i would i would like to see these companies do better but um i actually dug up an episode i was posting this on social media some of the audience members might have seen it about a prediction i made like three years ago that we were going to see some of these disruptors hit a wall Mm. Uh, then along comes covid and we get this great acceleration and i think that you know largely served to delay it but now we're starting to see the wheels come off from um, many of these, you know, very high-profile brands. So Warby Parker, which I think many people would agree is probably the strongest of these new DTC brands, their quarterly earnings came out, and as we've seen this pattern, sales up but losses getting getting worse. In fact, for the full year, they had a thirty-seven percent increase, which is great, but their net loss was one hundred and forty-four million up considerably from 2020. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other thing they said is that um, I believe it was roughly half of their sales are coming from stores, but as they go forward and they're going to open, I think something like 30, 35 stores this year, which will get them like, almost to 200 stores. Most of the growth is going to come from stores. But as I look at their loss, you know, it's just, it's just really interesting to me that they are not seeing their profits start to improve it suggests to me that the stores they've opened so far at least are perhaps not performing as well as one would hope well and and these sales numbers are reverberating back on the valuations right i mean it's it's almost like they're a category a subcategory retail so we're seeing the dtc and dnvb valuations kind of reflect this uh i don't know if we call it pessimism or or reality what do you how are you thinking about that well, I think it's more reality. Yeah, Allbirds, Stitch Fix, a bunch of other of these brands, in addition to Warby Parker, have lost something like half. You know, it depends on a given day, right? But mm-hmm. roughly half of their market cap in the last uh, couple of months. And I think it's it's a combination of three things. One is that maybe the size of you know the totally address total addressable market's not nearly as big as was originally envisioned. And I think as you see these sales increases kind of start to moderate that that you know, is, is a concern for the overall valuation, overall potential. Second, you know, and we talked about this a lot with, 
with Dan McCarthy on our episode last year uh, about just the dynamics of marketing and you know, customer acquisition costs going up, return on advertising coming down. Uh, and I think, um, you know, it's privacy, uh, third-party data changes. Uh, there's just a lot of things that make it look much more expensive to drive these businesses profitably. And then lastly, you know, you got the same, the same kind of issues of in, inflation, supply chain, you know, all these other factors that are hitting retail more, more broadly. But one of the things I was going to mention just quickly, and I, I, uh, did a post for Forbes, uh, this past week on it. It's, it's actually interesting that, um, some of the sort of old school, DTC brands, you know, these brands mm. that have essentially this vertically integrated model like the Warby Parkers of the world, but have been around for decades, like William Sonoma, Land's End, Duluth Trading Company, they're actually doing really well. Um, their mm. sales growth and growth potential is not nearly as, as great as these, but but William Sonoma and Duluth Trading reported this past week, and they've got, you know, very good top line growth and operating margins of, you know, eight, nine, ten percent. So really different, mm. different picture. So it's not like direct to consumer is important to do to do well on and it's a little bit of a false comparison obviously lots of growth yeah. companies lose money as they're as they're building out but um yeah. but certainly there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to pause and and think you know maybe maybe there's the emperor has no clothes all right let's talk about the nrf i uh, i was watching the nrf forecast which i like uh, watching each and every year i thought it was a great uh, our, our friend uh, sucharita was on there so it was great to see her importantly the nrf uh, issued their forecast as they do each and every year for retail for 2022, both uh, in physical and in online. What did you think about their numbers? Yeah, so uh, you know, obviously, this is the the U.S. forecast, not a global forecast, but uh, they're predicting between six and eight percent, which you know is very, very healthy. Certainly, well above the average. So they're pretty optimistic, as they often are. And this is coming on an all time or pretty much all time record year last year. So if this forecast comes true, that's that's very positive. Now the thing I think that is really hard to understand or or dissect here is we're seeing, you know, a tremendous amount of inflation. So, you know, everything else being equal given the inflation forecast, I think this suggests that more or less transactions are going to be pretty flat, which is, you know, not something we've, I think we talked about this on an earlier episode. I mean, we've, we've been living in this world of two or 3% inflation. And yeah. so you didn't really have to say, well, gee, you know, how much of the sales increase is driven by average unit retail going up? Well, this year, I think the answer is a lot. So that, that's, that's hard to, to really completely understand. But, um, mm. you know, there's been apparel prices have been up a lot. Grocery prices are up a lot. Gasoline, which is not embedded in this particular forecast, you know, that's up a lot. But, you know, the increase on gas prices and food prices, you know, is really going to hit lower income customers harder. So, you know, I think we might start to see some substitution effects, you know, depending upon the demographics of the customer and, and maybe depending on some of the categories. Yeah, and in, in, in the uh, economist narrative, the economist from uh, Jack, the economist from NRF, and, and his guests, they did talk about you know their forecast being adjusted due to things like uh, the war in the Ukraine, which is driving up gas and going to drive up food price for the next years, right? I mean, food's going to go up for years, not just grains this year, but also proteins next year, because, of course, the protein next year's protein is being fed this year's grains. But they said they right. calculated it in, and it moderated their growth percentage, and We'll see six and eight, six and eight percent. What about e-commerce? Uh, it seems to be what did they call fourteen percent? I think for e-commerce, um, I think a, a bit lower than that, um, but but slower as I think we might expect than than um, the last couple of years, which were so accelerated by 
by COVID, uh, but still quite quite healthy. Uh, I actually think mm-hmm. their e-commerce growth predictions a little bit on the high side. But again, you know, this gets back to this whole issue of you know what is e-commerce anyway. You yeah. know, most of these predictions are where you order it, but we're seeing so many large retailers uh, fulfill their orders out of store yeah. that I don't know. I, I I don't pay that much attention to the kind of channel predictions as much as you know it's important to dig into the categories or to dig into particular retailers positions well something to keep our eye on as is consumer confidence right which has fallen to its lowest level in 11 years uh you would think that uh, a covid pandemic crisis would impact consumer confidence more but really we're seeing some waning confidence which is a leading indicator to uh perhaps some 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 uh, sand in the gears so to speak of, of growth. yeah you know we yeah, um, we've seen, uh, as I recall, and I, I haven't gone back and looked every month on this, but, you know, the consumer confidence has not been that strong for a while, yet the consumer keeps spending. And I think on uh, something we can put a link to in the show notes, but Deloitte did this updated report on some of consumer trends that really get into the differences by by income. And I think this is a little bit where, you know, the average numbers don't kind of reveal Right, the whole picture right. because the affluent, and I think this was was mentioned on the NROF broadcast as well. You've got the affluent consumers that have a lot of discretionary spending power anyway. They've got asset inflation. Uh, you know, they can maybe handle these inflationary pressures more. And then you've got the lower income consumers that don't have much discretionary income to begin with. They're getting squeezed by inflation, and also, you know, to the extent that they benefited from stimulus payments, you know, they've mm-hmm. they've largely run through those, or they don't have the savings to rely on. And so, so I think, you know, again, you got to kind of dig into the details to really understand what this means for particular categories and particular retailers. All right. Well, let's leave, uh, let's leave all that behind and let's uh, transition now to our, uh, the first episode of our interviews with our fellow Rethink Retail influencers, uh, global influencers. But first we're going to start with um, Julia Raymond Herr and Gabriella Bach, who are here to tell us a little bit about what that whole program is all about and, and what it's meant to do and, and how you become a global influencer. Before we bring on our panelists to discuss what's new and next in Remarkable Retail, Julia Raymond Herr and Gabriella Bach are here with us to share a bit about the top retail influencer program. Yeah, welcome Julia and welcome Gabriella. Before we hear a little bit more about the program. First, can you just quickly tell us a little bit about yourself and about Rethink Retail? Sure, I'd love to. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Michael, for having us on. I am the editor-in-chief of Rethink Retail. We are a leading media outlet covering the retail and D2C space, and we do that through podcasts, magazines, both, both print and digital, and a variety of other mediums, and we're super happy to be on the show today. Hi, and I'm Gabriella Bach, and thank you again for having us on. I am our managing editor and podcast producer, so I oversee all of our content, both editorial and our branded studio content, and then I also produce the Retail Rundown, which is our weekly podcast where we dive into the trends and innovations that are transforming this incredible industry, and that show airs every Monday on all of your favorite podcast apps, as well as on our website at rethink.industries. Well, it is great to hear both of your voices. I'm a bit of a fan, not a bit of a fan, I'm a big fan. We've been following your work and uh, it's really great. So what has always made, uh, what I've always been curious about, Gabriella, can you tell us how the top retailer influencer list came to be? What's the background? Yeah, so our top retail influencer list kind of came into place organically. As journalists, we're always seeking credible sources. 
And in our effort to become a voice of authority in the retail news space, we knew we needed to consult with industry thought leaders who could offer us a myriad of different perspectives. We didn't really think of ourselves as the experts, right? We just thought of ourselves as these curious students who are really eager to learn as much as we could about the industry and where the future of commerce is headed. And actually, Steve, I think you were one of the first few guests we had on our podcast. So thank you for, you know, kind of seeing our potential from the start. So from there, we began to connect more and more with retail analysts and consultants, and we realized we were building this roster of incredibly intelligent individuals who are really influencing the retail industry in big ways. So we noticed they, they weren't necessarily retailers themselves. And we noticed there were so many meetups and awards for retail executives, but as far as we could tell, there wasn't much out there for the analysts, the authors, the academics. Um, even the retail executive veterans turned consultants. So in other words, really the people who are influencing this industry just as much as the retailers themselves. So in a nutshell, our, our try list came out of this desire to create and cultivate a community for retail thought leaders, while at the same time, really celebrating those who have continuously influenced our own understanding of the retail space. So Julia, how does one get on the list? Somehow, Michael and I made it. So some people might conclude the standards are low, but that, that doesn't <laughs> No, the standards are very the high. <laughs> Standards are very high. Um, Steve and Michael, I mean, no competition, but we're all trying to be one of the top podcasts, and that's really how it started. But I won't go into that too much. I think Gabriella covered it. So I'll just uh, go into how we evaluate our try. So it was many late nights of sorting through the data. We had hundreds of nominations from last year, and we were doing research, having debates among the selection committee as to who should be included, and we kind of landed on these five categories of influential minds in the industry. So that includes academia, analysts, associations, experts, and media like ourselves. So the qualifications that we look at vary to some degree in each area, but there was really three areas that we looked at with certain factors. So number one is the industry experience, of course, Number two, contribution of insight. So that's, you know, Steve, as a, a well, great published author, that could be books, uh, podcasts, like the one we're on right now, published work. How often are you talking about the things that are important to the industry and how much are you contributing commentary and insights? And then the third one is reach. So this one's interesting because it's, it is about how many followers do they have, how much awareness is around their materials and their content. And it's not just B2C. So we think a lot about influencers as being people selling, uh, you know, lip gloss to you online. I don't know. That's just an example. But it's always been <laughs> Barbecues, a maybe. maybe barbecue. <laughs> there you go. Barbecue. Grilling stuff. Uh, Too soon. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and the B2B space has always had influencers. Um, you know, deals, especially at the executive level, are made through handshakes a lot of times still today. Uh, but it's much more transparent now with social media, who has a lot of influence, who people are looking to, to be the guiding light. So those are the three areas. And obviously, the formula changes. If you're in media versus academic, we use slightly different standards. But at the same time, we're trying to find the best of the best in each of these categories. So for those of you listening, shameless plug here, make sure to follow the hashtag try 2022 across all of the main social platforms. You can follow the try Twitter list to see all the influencers, new content, and you can nominate yourself or someone, you know, 
we've created a short URL. You can go to bit.ly slash try apply. So that's bit.ly slash T-R-I apply. My vision is that we have this amazing group of people and they're helping guide the industry on topics that are important to retailers. And, you know, one example, the metaverse, whether you think it's a flip or a flop, we need to know what the influencers are thinking to illuminate the topic and move it forward because no one person can do it all. No one company can do it all. And we're so excited for what's to come. Well, this has been great because it's a great setup. You know, you talked about the best and brightest and uh, Steve and I are thrilled that we've got both of you to uh, to open us up to our conversations for this episode, the next episode, where we do actually invite some of the best and brightest to start sharing. And many of the influencers have been on our respective podcasts. So listen, thanks so much for joining us, giving us the backstory. It's really interesting. And, and thank you for your contribution uh, from uh, from Steve and I and from all of us and the industry. Uh, it's really it's really a great uh, it's really a great benefit to the industry. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for your support. It's always great to chat with the two of you. Well, we are so thrilled to have the esteemed panel that we have pulled together today in this the um, as we said the first part of a two-part episode where we're diving into insights from our fellow Rethink top global retail influencers. Let's start where, let's start at the beginning. Quick introductions. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourselves and a sense of your, what you do as a personal journey, professional journey, and your current role? Alicia, why don't you go first? Sure. Absolutely. Happy to be here. I'm Alicia Esposito, the VP of content for Retail Touchpoints. And I've actually been with Retail Touchpoints since I graduated from college, which is always a fun little fact. Um, I started as a reporter and editor, and now I essentially oversee our entire content strategy across our media networks. So our site and newsletter, everyday news, content strategy for our event, the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, and everything in between. So anything involving retail and content creation, media, that's my day-to-day. I'm happy to be here. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Nikki. Yeah, I uh, was just recently reminded that I bill myself in some places as a retail technology maven. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll use that today. I've definitely done just about everything you can do around technology from selecting it and implementing it to helping others select and implement to uh, selling it to retailers. Uh, And right now I look after the future and uh, interpret what that future could bring for both our customers as well as our own products and solutions at Aptos. I love that. I look after the future. I, yeah, it's in good it's hands. Looking after these days for sure. <laughs> it needs a lot of looking after these days. We, we also pay double for mavens, by the way. So just yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent. Clear. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the, the scale is double for mavens. Ricardo, talk, talk about yourself for a bit. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. So I'm uh, with Microsoft currently, and my role here is to work with some amazing Microsoft partners and help find new ways to go to market together with them to kind of help us both grow our business by solving as many retailer challenges as we can. Um, also, these days, hosting my own podcast, so quick plug for that, the Retail Razor Show. And uh, but this is sort of a continuation of my 20-plus year journey across uh, different technology providers, all serving retailers in one form or another. I've been involved in technologies you know, wide-ranging from data networking, communications, and data security, Wi-Fi, digital signage, and training and learning systems. Uh, now, you know, obviously, based uh, 
mostly on cloud-based uh, technologies for retailers. So I, I sometimes, though not often, uh, have folks kind of call me a, a retail tech guru for retailers. So I'll, I'll let that uh, sit there. Uh, but Ooh, I we pay be, triple for gurus. <laughs> oh well, that's good to know. That's good to know. I, I'll, I'll hope that I'll be invited back uh, again then. In, in that case. Yeah, but I generally view my role as you know helping retailers and, and consumer goods brands to just maximize the value of the technology investments they're making. Excellent. Well, we are super excited to have you guys here with uh, all the different perspectives you can bring to bear. So today, we're going to be talking about what's new and what's next when it comes to remarkable retail. Now, I often get asked when I say remarkable, what do I mean? And I mean not only the way I think most people probably think about that word, which is something that is highly distinctive and memorable, but I also mean something that literally people will talk about, something that's so intensely customer relevant, emotionally connecting, that our customers help spread the word. So we're going to dig into business models that are remarkable, technologies that are remarkable, customer experiences that are remarkable, and really making a difference. Okay, so with that as a quick backdrop, why don't we talk about some of the customer experiences that you all are seeing, specifically within brick-and-mortar locations, whether we're talking about large legacy retailers or maybe some smaller up-and-coming retailers. So, Nikki, why don't we start with you? What are some examples of what you were seeing that you think is really making a difference right now at store level for retailers? Yeah, everything that I'm seeing right now, I have to say, like, I wish it was innovative, right? But it's it's really stuff that's been around for a long time. It's just that the business case and the urgency and justification has changed a lot. And one of the biggest ones right now is is mobile, is mobile devices for store associates, which I was like, how, you know, 2003, how 2008 <laughs> uh, to, to, to bring these back. But when you combine, you know, labor shortages and just the cost of labor and how much more is happening in stores and how much those store associates have to support so many more activities than they have um, really up until now that it's really put an extra urgency around putting mobile capabilities into the hands of store associates. And, you know, and, and every retailer today is like, and this time I really mean it. So we'll, we'll see. But that's, that is definitely a high priority right now. And uh, maybe just a quick follow-up on that. What it, I mean, obviously, a lot has happened by virtue of COVID by itself. But one of the things Michael and I have talked about a bunch, we did an episode on this recently, is, you know, why does it take a crisis for retailers to innovate? Do you have any perspectives on, on that particular question? I mean, I think to some degree, it's just because they're, they're very conservative. Um, you know, even for being in a consumer industry, it's, it's part of what's given me my 20 plus year career <laughs> that I've had is that they, um, you know, when you have to multiply this across hundreds of stores, then they tend to be very risk averse in what they're going to put in that store. And, you know, when you look at just the cash outlay of, uh, what they have to invest from a technology perspective compared to the typical margins of your typical retailer, they're, you know, they're not very excited to put out that huge cash outlay. They'd rather plow that money into inventory or into more stores. And so I think that contributes significantly to a great deal of conservatism in the, in the retail industry. How about you, Ricardo? What's, what's your perspective? 
Well, you know, I'll, maybe I'll focus on uh, one of my favorite brands, and that's uh, Lego. Uh, and some of the things they do in their flagship stores, I always have a, a good time visiting those stores when I try to venture out. Uh, and, you know, back in the days when we all used to travel, I suppose, but uh, that's hopefully coming back now. But uh, Lego, for me, you know, they they really know how to build an immersive in-store experience that I, I think is just fun for all ages and I think just recognizes they know their target market, right? It's the children that are playing with Legos, but I think maybe equally important, it's the parents that are buying the toys for their for their kids. It certainly works in, in my household, as I'm sure maybe many others with uh, parents out there with kids. Uh, and that to me, I think they, they really blend physical and digital nicely in the stores. You know, they have the, like the brick lab that lets you, you can build things with bricks and then you can play with them in a virtual space. Uh, and then likewise, you can kind of start in the other direction and you can take digital photos of yourself and have their system kind of create a Lego set of you, uh, which I think is also pretty clever. Uh, so I think they, they do a really good example of what we talk a lot about experiential retail and immersive experiences. So I kind of hold them up as a good example and maybe a little bit along the lines of what Nikki was talking about. I think REI does a lot of interesting things to help their store associates and their store teams uh, work better. Uh, one of my favorite uh, pandemic stories is how they turn the moment when their stores were forced to close. I think if everybody remembers, you know, those, those days in 2020, they use that as a, a means to start doing like some one-in-one engagements with store associates via some collaborative tools and video conferencing tools. They're able to actually schedule appointments with customers and they call them, I think, virtual outfitter journeys. Um, mm. And that was something that they, you know, they kept doing it even after stores opened, they kept doing it. Customers liked it. They, they uh, saw 86% customer satisfaction with those sessions and they've just continued investing in technology for their store associates. And I think, again, like Nikki was saying, it's one of those things where you wonder, you know, these aren't new technologies. We could have been using these 10 years ago. Uh, granted, all these technologies have incrementally improved, right, over the years. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they're a little easier to use now. But uh, it, it, I do, I am always fascinated that, you know, it's, it's one of these things where necessity is the mother of invention, right? And the, if there's something good we take out of the pandemic era for retailers is that the, being forced to innovate turns out that's a good thing. And I think the big lesson from that is that retailers, uh, at least most of the ones I've been talking to, have learned that it doesn't have to take six months to roll anything out anymore. You actually can do things in six weeks' time. And along with that, it, it turns out that you don't have to have 100% of the solution ready to go before you put it out there. It's okay to have maybe 80%, but then uh, you know, a few weeks later, you iterate again, and now it's 85% complete. And a few weeks after that, maybe it's 90%, 95%. You just keep going until you get it to where you want it to be. Uh, but you're at least making progress rather than just waiting for that elusive 100% mark to someday in the future arrive. Yeah, no, I think I think that's an important point. What have you got, Alicia, to share with us? Yeah, so I think to somewhat latch on to the point that Ricardo was making about Lego. I, I agree. I think the thoughtful integration of technology into the experience is something worth noting. I think, you know, the retailers that we've been covering and focusing in on are the ones that are, are looking at technology in a more strategic and thoughtful way versus like, oh, this is, you know, the new cool thing. Like, let's roll it out and see what happens. Like, there's a lot of thought and an intention behind it. I think the other thing to call out, though, about Lego is that, you know, what we've seen in a lot of their stores, it's there's that little nod to 
the local community, the area that that particular store is in. I know we saw it in their um, New York City flagship. A lot of the design elements and vignettes, you know, pay pay tribute to New York City. And I think that's a, a, a much broader trend that I'm um, I'm very excited to see unfold, you know, among different retailers, how they're bringing in that community connection into their store experiences, whether that's through the actual design and execution of the store, whether that's through events and, you know, opportunities to connect, or whether that's through giving back. Um, I've been, I'm going to keep a close eye on like Foot Locker, who's been doing this in a multitude of ways, like with their dedicated um, kids experience or kids shop, um, but also brands like Good Market, which, you know, is built around this coffee shop like experience, but it's highly curated. So their whole goal is to bring in adjacent brands, you know, brands that support the mission of doing good, right, and and furthering communities. And they also create opportunities for the founders of these companies to come in, share their stories, um, meet their customers. And I think creating those moments of gathering, I know ultimately the goal is to sell, right? I mean, it is retail after all, but creating those moments that make sense for the brand and for the customer to come together and make everyone feel closer to that community is definitely something that, um, you know, I've been keeping a close watch on and I'm excited to see what other brands do to bring that to life. You know, what I pick up from what you're saying and thinking about some other examples is these are things that, you know, that, that in-person experience really is hard to recreate Mm -hmm. online, right? I mean, it's really taking advantage of that tactile experience or wanting to be connected or being, being social. So, uh, no, I think those are great examples. Maybe Lego should sponsor the show, though, since they're getting so much love from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ricardo, I want to follow up on one of the things that we've been talking about in general sense. And, you know, we've talked about the pandemic as, as a great accelerator and many existing trends. From your perspective, are there ones that stand out as more impactful than others in, in the, you know, as a result of the COVID era and things that built to last? Yeah, I, I very much believe that all of these new convenience-oriented capabilities retailers, uh, you know, in essence, were, were in many ways forced to introduce during the pandemic. But consumers, I believe, have just embraced every single convenience capability that, that we've seen. You know, it started out with functions like buy online, pick up in store, and you know, we added curbside to that. We've got more and more same-day delivery options, it feels like, you know, almost every day. Uh, and even same-day now, right, is becoming so 2019 because now you got to have it in an hour or 15 minutes. Uh, So I think consumers continue to embrace these things. I think retailers are still figuring out how to make them work potentially uh, in a profitable way. But uh, I'll put that point uh, aside for a minute. But I think the way this evolves and the reason why I think these have staying power is you look at uh, a recent example that I am really favorable on is what Target announced about adding uh, the ability to order Starbucks, you know, when you come to a drive-up pickup uh, at the time you get there. So it's, you know, I'm basically now adding an ability to just shop what used to be inside the store, I'm going to be able to shop for some of these things at curbside by just using the mobile app and adding to my order when I get prompted when I get there. And I think that kind of evolution of bringing the inside of the store to the outside, so to speak, uh, is just a, a validation that these convenience capabilities have become so much more important than they used to. So I think those all have staying power. I, I do think that it may vary by category. So, mm-hmm. you know, the counter example that I've noticed, uh, at least in my um, 
part of the region here is uh, in the home improvement stores. So the home improvement stores like Home Depot, Lowe's, they added, uh, you know, I lost track how many parking spaces during the pandemic they started devoting to curbside pickup. Uh, It started to feel like almost half the lot. Uh, But now uh, when I go there, it's very few spaces reserved for that. And I don't often see cars parked there waiting for that kind of curbside pickup, but then contrast that with a a target store where I I think that drive up, those drive up lanes are always busy when when I go by there. Uh, So I think there is some variation that uh, we used to talk about generalities, right? We used to broadly generalize a lot of these retail capabilities. And now I think going forward, we have to be more specific in terms of which product categories Mm -hmm. we're talking about for them. That's a great point. Basically, mileage may differ, as, as Steve exactly, Robinson said. Yeah. Nikki, um, what's not built to last? I mean, are we going to be stuck with QR codes for the rest of our lives? Is there, is there something here we can say that happened and it's technology and, you know, it's just not going to be around? And maybe I'll put back on the table that it, the finance, you know, the economics don't even work. Anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I have been watching live streaming with lots of fascination, and I probably would mm-hmm. put it in that category where during the pandemic, especially in the early days, it kind of sprung up organically, right? It was store associates taking the initiative on their own and uh, doing, you know, whatever they could and retailers sort of jumping in behind to support them. It was huge in China, had a huge impact. Uh, And then we saw some Western retailers also adopt the technology, but where I see it heading is there's, there's just such a lack of trust in store associates to be the face of the brand I think it's a terrible mistake. Um, And I see Mm. retailers consolidating, right? Like they're like, instead of having this be organic and our store associates are going out and doing this and we're rewarding them, we're going to consolidate this and we're going to bring it into our corporate headquarters and we're going to have a studio and it's going to be really professional. And I just feel like if they do that, that that's pretty much going to be the death knell of live streaming. Like, sure, it'll make some money, but it's Mm. not going to be what it could have been. Alicia, what do you think about, uh, you know, if if you turn your uh, 3D printer on for a second and we can talk about uh, technology that uh, just didn't seem to last? Anything come to mind from (laughs) from your perspective? Uh, Are you taking drone deliveries in your backyard or virtual glasses as you walk into stores? Oh, yeah. Um, It's funny you bring up virtual glasses. I I was just looking at um, some footage from Fashion Week and saw a few posts um, trying to push Ray-Bans that include um, photo capabilities and then instant sharing on Instagram. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I, I, think, I, think, the, I think the CIA might be a good customer for those, but I'm not yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know it just like brings me back to like the whole google glass thing and like i don't oh, yeah. i don't know if we're ready for all of that so <laughs> scott galloway said google glasses are the greatest form of birth control ever yeah. invented that it makes you instantly unattractive <laughs> to potential <laughs> well speaking speaking of uh maybe being a little bit more future looking maybe we don't we don't love google glasses or or uh similar technology but um maybe you guys could help us separate out from your perspective what is uh what are some of those things that are going to be interesting things to watch for the future that sort of break out of that hype cycle versus the bright and shiny objects so whether it's the metaverse nfts you know what what's what's on your radar screen anyone want to try to see if their crystal ball was working today. I have to jump on the 3D printing uh, kind of disc there (laughs) Uh, because I see lots of retailers 
very interested in customization of products in stores. So I don't know that it would necessarily go so far. I know, you know, Adidas and Nike and some of those guys have experimented with 3D printed shoes that you could potentially have a box in the store that prints your shoe for you. But uh, this idea of, of leveraging automation in order to provide some kind of mass customization at a local scale, uh, I think is, is really interesting. It's sort of like build a bear for shoes or jeans or jackets or purses. Uh, and it does seem like there's lots of retailers, not just luxury retailers, but, but lots of retailers that seem to be very interested in that customization. And I think part of the reason why they are interested is because it's a form of entertainment in its own way, right? It, it actually is the kind of thing that you want to come to the store and see. And, you know, I've picked out all of the things that are going to go on my jean jacket and then I'm going to watch you put them all on. And then I get to take my jacket away and share it with everybody Mm. right away. Right. It's Mm -hmm. got lots of elements that are really great for the store. And I think just to add to that too, I mean, I've been keeping a close eye on model number. Um, They do 3d printed furniture for that level of customization, but also just for a more efficient and sustainable approach to product development. So, I mean, jury's still out on, you know, the long longevity of, of 3D printing as a business model, but, you know, it's definitely interesting to see the different use cases and see where and, and how that could turn into a, a longer term business model. So... Mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll be the one to jump on the metaverse and NFTs, Steve, since you brought that up. Um, <laughs> but I was going to call on you if you, if you weren't willing to volunteer. <laughs> I didn't write I'll add something on NFTs too, Ricardo, yeah, so it's great. not just okay, you. Perfect. So you'll, you'll back there. me up on that one. So, so <laughs> admittedly, my crystal ball is a little bit murky on this one um, and, and maybe a little cloudy. But uh, I think that really for me, the, the name of the game here in these areas is just to experiment this year. I, I My crystal ball does not show that there are going to be a lot of retailers really moving the needle on revenue with these with the metaverse and NFTs, but it's about experimenting. Uh, I, I'm, mm. again, hopeful that the lesson learned through the pandemic was that it's okay to do things quickly. It's okay to, to innovate. It's okay to experiment. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. You move on to the next attempt. And that's how I think retailers should look at the metaverse and NFTs. And the one thing I think maybe I will put out there for anybody listening to to please don't in the please don't do category is please don't just create a virtual version of your store that's built on aisles and shelves and second life. It's not expect consumers to figure out how to get the virtual sweater off the rack and into the virtual (laughs) shopping cart because I don't think anyone's (laughs) going to enjoy that experience. Um, The whole point is to be creative, right? And to do things in a new interesting way. Uh, and I think yeah. the, you know, the, 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 I expect there to be some breakout cases, you know, by the end of the year where we're, we're going to be sitting around a table come the holiday season saying, wow, that was a really interesting, uh, interesting new thing that brand XYZ did. Right. And there were going to be a couple of those, I think I don't, ex- again, don't, don't expect a lot of moving the needle, but both in the metaverse and in NFTs, I think the mistake here is to not try to do anything this year. We're coming up on our time, and uh, other than triggering everyone by t- by dissing uh, 3D printers, let me ask you this last question. Uh, let's do some quick takes. One large retailer, let's call them a legacy retailer, to watch this year, something interesting is going to happen, and one up-and-comer that our audience might uh, might know, know of and put on their radar screen. Nikki, let's start with you. Bed Bath & Beyond in the legacy category. Uh, Ryan Cohn of Chewy.com fame and GameStop fame has invested 
And I, I will be very interested to see what he thinks he can do with Bed Bath & Beyond. They definitely are ripe to be remade in a new image. And then up-and-comer, uh, Noble. So a fitness brand that came out of the CrossFit world, uh, very experiential-oriented, mm-hmm. and I am very intrigued by some of the things that they're doing. All right, Ricardo, you're up next. All right. Well, I think Nikki stole my legacy retailer because I too am also very interested in what's going to happen with uh, Bed Bath Beyond. I think that's the one to watch. I'm avoiding mentioning any department store names because I think maybe that's been talked about <laughs> quite quite a lot lately. For my up and comer, I'll give you a, a two for one there because they're both similar. I think uh, two concepts. One is brick and click, and the other is retail OS. I think that this trend that we've seen with these digitally native brands moving into stores is going to continue. And uh, rather than they're just randomly continuing by opening stores on their own, I think concepts like brick and click and retail OS are going to help them uh, do it in a more interesting, curated manner or, or something to watch. All right, Alicia, bring us home. I'm going to try and go with a different legacy retailer. Um, I think I'm going to go with Nordstrom. I'm curious to see, you know, how they embrace uh, retail media as a business model, just because, you know, I feel like they've been taking a very um, authentic and and thoughtful approach to their brand partnerships and how they kind of curate brands, spotlight brands and and develop partnerships. So like how will Mm. media and, you know, possibly monetized content play into that entire ecosystem and my content nerd is showing, I'm sorry. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you make, what do you make of their podcast? Have you, have you listened to the Nordy yet? You know, I, I love that. I love any opportunity where brands can kind of dig into show that face of, mm. you know, and that personality a little bit more. And I think, um, the idea of brands showcasing like founder stories is mm-hmm. really interesting. Actually going back to good market, they'd take a similar approach, you know, like the brand partners and, and the charitable giving partners they bring on, they go on the podcast and dig deeper into the story. So I think it kind of allows those barriers to be brought down, um, a, a little bit. So I'm, I'm all for it, but again, I'm, I'm the content person in the room. So I'm, I'm saying, give me all the content all the time. All right. And who haven't we heard of that you're excited about? Um, they may not necessarily be up and coming right now, but um, I, I'm keeping an eye on some of the work that Rebag is doing. Um, I think they're a really interesting example of, um, you know, a, a brand in that resale space, but they're also in stores now. They're also, um, you know, rolling out, uh, or they have rolled out already their, their new, uh, loyalty program. And like, there have been a lot of interesting discussions around loyalty programs, you know, the efficacy of them, how to kind of rethink them to be a bit more engaging. Um, so that's one. And also Italic, um, is another really interesting marketplace type brand that, um, does direct relationships with manufacturers to create luxury level goods for a fraction of the price. And they also have a really great membership model. So I think this whole notion of like loyalty programs, membership models, you know, ways that brands are kind of creating these highly curated and immersive experiences for their customers in a way that's like authentic and meaningful at the brand level. um, That's definitely something that I'm keeping a close watch on. Well, that's terrific. One might even say remarkable. We appreciate all your perspectives. And of course, we just really touched the tip of the iceberg here. And all three of you have got great presence in your respective positions and some of your social media things, Ricardo's podcast. So if if listeners want to get in touch with you or follow your work, 
uh, maybe you each could just quickly give us the best place to connect with you, Alicia. Sure. Um, you can go to uh, our podcast, Retail Remix. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, but largely LinkedIn. You can find me at Alicia Esposito. Um, and of course, RetailTouchPoints.com. All right. How about you, Nikki? So Twitter, LinkedIn, and Forbes are the places that you will find me. Excellent. And Ricardo? So in addition to the podcast, you can find me on Twitter. It's Ricardo underscore Belmore. And of course, on LinkedIn. All right. And we will be sure to put some links in the show notes in case uh, folks didn't get that down. But I want to thank you guys for coming on the Remarkable Retail Podcast and wish you all the best. And perhaps we'll see some of you at Shop Talk in a couple weeks. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform so you can catch up with all our great interviews and insights and new episodes will show up each and every week. Sure to check out our YouTube channel. And last but not least, tell your friends and colleagues in the retail industry all about us. And I'm Steve Dennis, author of the best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. You can learn more about me, my consulting and keynote speaking at stephenpdennis.com. And I'm Michael LeBlanc, producer and co-host of the Conversations of Commerce Next podcast, the voice of retail podcast, keynote speaker, and host of the all-new Last Request Barbecue Cooking Show on YouTube. And you can learn even more about me on LinkedIn or emmyleblanc.co. Have a safe week, everyone. <laughs>